last few weeks, uh, we've been covering Jesus' final moments on earth, the final weeks of his life. And we're going to be in John chapter 12 today, if you want to turn your Bibles there or open your apps to John chapter 12. But I want to recap what we've talked about the last few weeks. We started in John chapter 9 with the story of the blind man, right? Jesus meets this blind man, he puts mud in his eyes, tells him to go wash it in the pool. He does so, and then his... His eyes are open, and he's got the greatest testimony of all time. I once was blind, but now I see. And then there are all these religious folks, the Pharisees, the religious elite, that doubted Jesus and did not like that Jesus was opening this man's eyes. And they put out this order that said anyone that recognizes Jesus as the Messiah will be kicked out of the synagogue or the temple. And this blind man does believe in Jesus, and so they kick him out. And John is painting for us this picture and this tension that's building around the life and ministry of Jesus. A small group of people that believe in him and another group of people that are trying to take him down because he's challenging their expectations of who the Messiah was. And then last week, Dan... We talk, Dan talked about the miracle at Bethany. Jesus goes and raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And what happens because Jesus does this great miracle is that more and more people begin to believe in Jesus. John in his gospel records seven miracles of Jesus. The raising of Lazarus from the dead was the most amazing and profound one of them all. And so more and more people begin to believe in Jesus. But then... John also shows us attention continues to build. The Pharisees realize that more and more people are recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. And so then at the end of John chapter 11, we find this order that they put out that anyone who finds Jesus, let us know so that we can arrest him. And so again, John is painting for us this picture, this tension that's building. A whole group of people that loved him and were expecting him and wanted to see him again and this other group of people that hated him to the point that they wanted to kill him. And today, here's what we're going to talk about. Both groups, those who loved him and those who hated him, did not understand who Jesus really was, did not understand what he really came to accomplish, and did not understand what it meant to really follow him. So we pick up our story today in John chapter 12, verse 12, and Jesus had gone into hiding for a little bit. He retreated because the crowds were getting too big and the tension was building, and so he retreats. But then he comes back during the Passover festival. Here's where we pick up John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that, could, that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So again, here's this great crowd that's expecting Jesus to enter the city during the Passover festival. Now, the Passover festival was very important in the life of a Jewish person at that time. There were a few pilgrimages you had to make in your life every year, and one of them was during the Passover festival to Jerusalem. And so scholars believe that Jerusalem, typically, there was about 50,000 people in the city. But during the Passover festival, it doubled to over 120,000 people. So the people just doubled, the city literally doubled in size. Imagine San Antonio just doubles in size for one week. Like imagine with me, you're six, sitting on 1604, it's already crowded. With twice the amount of people. It's giving me a headache just thinking about it. But the city, Jerusalem, literally could not handle the population. It was bursting at the seams and there was this buzz about this man named Jesus. 
Now, someone shared this video with me earlier this week, and I want to show it to you in a second. But uh, it's about Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi is considered the greatest soccer player of all time. And I don't think there's really an argument around it. And if you've been watching the World Cup recently, he led Argentina to win the World Cup. And Lionel Messi returned to Argentina a few weeks ago. And there was this anticipation of his return. And he just goes to get dinner at a restaurant, and the crowds are covering him. And here's his video. Here's what the scene looked like as he entered the restaurant. And I imagine as Jesus enters Jerusalem, the scene was similar to this. A great crowd trying to get a glimpse at this man who just raised someone from the dead. He just did the greatest miracle that any one of them have ever seen. And here comes Jesus. And what they do, the first thing that they do is this. John chapter 12, verse 13, it says this. They took palm branches, went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So here comes Jesus into Jerusalem, and they take palm branches, and they lay it before him, and they take off their robes, and they lay it before him. We've talked about the significance of the palms before, but I want to talk about it real quickly. The palm, palm branches were symbolic of something. It was unique to the Jewish people. Obviously, in that land, you would find date palms all over the place. But it was tied to Jewish nationalism. So before Jesus' time, there were Jewish revolts that happened because a lot of times the Jewish people were oppressed by other people groups. And so when these revolts happen, what you find in historical data is that the Jewish people, they minted, and the leaders of the revolt, they minted their own coins to emphasize their independence from their captures. And so on these minted coins for the times of war that they were in were images of palm branches. And so there's a specific revolt that happens. The rebel group, the Maccabees, they recapture Jerusalem in B.C. 164, and they cleanse the temple and, and put the Jewish people back in their rightful place, and they throw this massive celebration for the Maccabees. And in historical data, you find that they used in the celebration palm branches. Palm branches were tied to Jewish nationalism. It represented power and reclaiming Israel's rightful place in history. And so the people had expectations of Jesus when he enters. So they lay down their palm branches. Not only that, they begin to shout, Hosanna. And that word is literally a cry for help. They're saying, save us. They had expectations that Jesus would save them. It wasn't a random act of shouting Hosanna and laying down palm branches. It was highly intentional. The people thought that Israel would reclaim its rightful place and would overthrow the Roman Empire. And here comes their Messiah, the King of Israel, Jesus. And I love this next part, John 12, 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. So imagine with me that video that we just saw. There's a great crowd. People are pressing to get a glimpse at this man, Jesus there's kids, there's families, and they can barely see where he's at, and they're expecting this national liberator, this hero, expecting him to ride on this war horse, and here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. It's kind of hilarious. Jesus choosing to sit on a young donkey is Jesus diminishing the expectations of the crowd. Jesus is subtly reminding the crowd that he was not who they expected him 
to be. Jesus, as he rides on this donkey, he's actually fulfilling a prophecy that was written about him over 500 years before his arrival in Zechariah 9.9. Here's that prophecy. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I think it's so interesting, this prophecy. Righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Victorious and lowly and on a donkey. This doesn't make sense to us in the Western world or in our American concept of power and victory. But here comes Jesus. Not to fulfill the agenda of the people, but coming with his own agenda. Jesus did not come to conquer. He came to be a servant. Jesus did not come to overthrow. He came to be obedient to the Father. No war horses, no battle bows. He didn't show up with guns and tanks. He shows up on a donkey. Why? Jesus came not to fulfill a national plan, but to fulfill the plan of his Father, which was to bring peace to every nation. The total opposite of a heroic liberator. He wasn't just the king of Israel. Here comes the king of kings who didn't come just to redeem one nation but came to redeem all people back to the Father. I think sometimes we can be like the crowd. We have expectations of Jesus and what he's going to do for us. But Jesus comes and if we can learn anything from the story and what John is trying to teach us of the crowd, Jesus comes to not fulfill our expectations, but to be obedient to the Father's will. So we're going to continue in the story. And Jesus tells the people what his expectations were. And here he is. He rides into the crowd. There's this massive crowd around him. I imagine they're all silent, waiting to hear him speak. Here's our national liberator, our hero. He's going to speak to us. And here's what Jesus says to the crowd. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat or seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, but I love this scene. Jesus knows before he speaks the appetite of this crowd. They're waiting for the man that raised another man to speak, their hero to speak. And Jesus looks at the crowd and says, if you truly want to follow me, you must hate this life and die to yourself. I just imagine like pin drop silence. Wait, I thought, what, you want me to die to myself? I thought you are going to kill the Romans and we're going to take over and you're going to be our hero and we're going to be, you want me to die to myself? And Jesus uses the simple yet profound illustration. He says, unless a seed falls to the ground, it only remains a seed. I've got in my pocket here a seed. If you can see, it's, it's a small seed. And here's what Jesus is simply saying. This seed, I could take it with me wherever I go for the rest of my life. 
Like this weekend, if I go mountain biking, I'll put it in a day pack, and it's going to get to enjoy the trails and the breeze and the good summer, I mean, good spring weather here in San Antonio. I could take it to a Spurs game, and we can watch the Spurs play and watch the newly inducted Hall of Famer get Greg Popovich on the sidelines. I could take it to work, put it in my drawer. We're sitting there in the AC. I could take it on a vacation with my family. I can have it with me for the rest of my life while I'm driving, wherever it is I go. And guess what happens? It always remains a seed. Nothing happens to it. And Jesus is saying the purpose of a seed is not to just remain a seed. A purpose of a seed is to be buried in the ground, dead to the world, dying so that it can sprout and reproduce itself over and over again. So Jesus looks at the crowd and tells them, if you love this life and simply enjoy it and you're just living your best life, but it, you only simply remain seeded. You've misunderstood what it truly means to follow me. To, to follow me means to, to die to yourself, to hate this life, and in hating this life and dying to yourself, you will find true life, one that lasts not just for a few years, but is real and eternal and lasts forever. Unless a seed is buried and dies, it cannot re. Produce. Jesus is saying to this crowd who had expectations of him what his expectations were of them. Life is not just about going about your business and remaining a seed. What would it look like for you to die to yourself, to be buried and find new life in Jesus? And here's what I love about Jesus. There's no way to water down the message of Jesus. Like he's not looking at the crowd and saying, well, there's some people that have never seen me or never heard of me. They're new to the faith. And so I'm going to put them in this section and the disciples are going to go talk to them. And then I'm going to talk to this people about what it really means to follow me. No, there's no way to water it down. He's telling this massive group of people that have gathered around him, if you really want to follow me, die to yourself. If you're going to follow me, crowd, if you're going to follow me, church, you cannot remain the way that you are. So to follow Jesus means that we cease being just a seed. To follow Jesus means that we cease to be who we are today. But we die to ourselves, entering into the transformation that he brings, which produces in us the purpose and destiny for our lives. We're supposed to be people that are dead to ourselves. Dan mentioned last week Lazarus was physically the walking dead this man coming out of the grave. For you and I who follow Jesus spiritually, we're supposed to be the walking dead, dying to ourselves and finding life in Jesus. And then Jesus says something so profoundly human as he looks at his own life. John chapter 12, verse 27 says this, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. So Jesus tells the crowd his expectations of them. Die to yourself. Do not just remain a seed. This is what it means to follow me. And then he's also, when he says that, speaking about his own death. He knows that he himself will have to die so that each and every one of us will find life in and through him. And he's looking at the options, the road to Easter. He looks ahead. And he's acknowledging what's ahead. He says, my soul is troubled. And that word there, trouble, literally means restless and anxious and stirred up and distressed because Jesus knows that he's going to be killed. He says, what shall I say? My 
soul is troubled. Should I say, God, save me? Jesus is admitting there's a part of his flesh that's wondering if he could forego this plan of God over his life. If he could skip this whole portion right here. It's the same prayer that he prays in the garden. Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. I want to pause here for a moment because I think Jesus is showing us something so essential to following him and so essential to being a human being. It's okay for us to acknowledge the difficulty of following Jesus. It's okay for us to acknowledge it. It's what Jesus does. My soul is troubled because what is ahead for me? Some of us need to learn from Jesus. Some of us, we don't like acknowledging the difficulties that we're facing. Everything's easy for us. Everything's polished. All of our answers are clean. It's like I'll have a conversation with you in the lobby and say, hey, how's, your, how's it going? How's your week? You'll say, I'm blessed and highly favored. But then this week you've been, trouble, uh, you've been struggling with porn. Or some of us, I'll say, hey, how's it going? Well, I can't complain. I'm good. But this week you've had suicidal thoughts. Do complain. Talk about the difficulty of following Jesus. Talk about the difficulty of what it means to die to yourself. Talk about the difficulty and the weight of being a follower of Jesus because there really is a weight to it. It's okay for us to acknowledge, my soul is troubled. This is what is ahead for me. I have to lay down my own life. Jesus admits the difficulty. Father, if it is your will, take this from me. I don't want to go through with this. Jesus admits for a moment what his flesh is feeling, but he knows exactly what his purpose is in life. And he's literally weighing these two options, the cross can I ask God to save me from the cross? He says, no. Verse 27, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He reminds himself of his purpose, which was to glorify the Father through his death on the cross. Jesus is looking at these options. And here's the thing. Options are good for us. Sometimes we pray that God would take away our options. But that's not how it works. Options are good for us. Why? Options are an opportunity for us to be obedient to Jesus. So sometimes you'll be in that bad relationship and you'll say, God, I'm in this relationship. I'm not supposed to be in this relationship. So if I'm not supposed to be in this relationship, just take him out of my life. And God is saying, no, you've got options and you know which one to choose. So obey and choose the right one. Or men, like... Sometimes we struggle with our flesh. Guess what? We can't pray to God to take away our flesh. But there are options in life. You know which option to take. Options provide an opportunity for us to obey God. Options are good. It's how God tests us at times. And Jesus here weighs his options, but then he reminds himself of God's plan and purpose for him. He says, no, this is why I came here, to glorify my Father. And the crowd, he begins to talk to the crowd, and I want to wrap up the next few verses here. He begins to talk to the crowd, and he doesn't give them answers. They have questions for him. He doesn't give them direct answers, though. He tells them, I'm only going to be here a little longer. Once I leave, you'll be in the darkness. So become children of the light. Follow me in this light. And they're still confused. They're not sure what he's really talking about. And then John writes this in verse 37. It says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. 
Ben, you guys can come up as I get ready to wrap up this morning. Even after Jesus had performed so many miracles, they would not believe in him. John's not showing Jesus' failure and his failure of his ministry for people to follow him. He's not saying Jesus failed. He tried and he, came, he tried to get people to believe him by showing off and doing all these miracles. and they didn't. That's not what he's saying. John is painting for us a picture of the world that we live in, the reality of the world that we find ourselves in. The miracles had the people going. The miracles had the people acknowledging Jesus. Wait, he opened a blind man's eyes? Okay, I can maybe get behind this man. Wait, he, op- he raised a dead man back to life? Okay, there must be something real about him. And so they gather to hear him speak. And then he says, actually, you're supposed to die to yourself. And then they back away. It's easy to acknowledge and respect Jesus and what he does from afar. The miracles had them going. But when he begins to turn to them and speaks to them and says, if you really want to follow me, hate this life and die to yourself, the miracles weren't enough. Because true belief in Jesus meant a denial of their selves. They couldn't do it. They couldn't follow him the way that he wanted them, him to follow him. And it's only a week later. The Hosannas, blessed is he, the king of Israel. It's only a week later as we enter the Holy Week. It's only a week later those Hosannas would quiet down. The crowds are no longer anywhere to be found. And those who were dropping palm branches and shouting, save us, our king, our hero, our liberator, would be looking at Jesus and saying, this isn't the one we were expecting. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. He did not meet their expectations. And what it meant to follow him, they could not accept. To deny themselves, to die to themselves, to hate this life. They didn't want to lose their lives. It wasn't just the crowd, it was also his disciples. The ones who had walked with him for three years plus. The ones who had seen him do miracle after miracle, teaching after teaching. When Jesus is arrested later on in the week, they would scatter. They will be nowhere to be found. Peter, one of the closest disciples Jesus had, said, I'll never deny you. I'll never do that, Jesus. These people might do it. I'll never do it. And three times, over and over and over, he denies Jesus in front of people. The crowd that you see in the video, no more crowd. And John is painting for us here a picture. There's no way to water it down. This is what it means to follow Jesus. To give up ourselves. To die to ourselves. To die to our flesh. And to have life and life eternal in him. This is the gospel message. And Jesus ends the chapter by saying, I have not come into this world to judge the world, but to save the world. I didn't come with judgment, I came with love. He repeats what John says in 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting eternal life. Jesus reminds the crowd with one last plea and cry to believe in him. I did not come to judge you. I came to save you. But if you choose to reject me, you yourselves have judged yourselves. And he's reminding them one last ditch effort. Don't you realize dying to yourselves is to save you? So there's two options in life. We can continue to love this life and feed our souls and feed our flesh and someday we'll die. Or we can choose to die now and live forever because of Jesus. He says, I've come to save you. And this is the message for all of us as we enter Holy Week. It's a somber week, it's a reflective week, and on Sunday we're going to celebrate. But I want to invite you into this moment. It's okay to feel a little uncomfortable. It's okay to feel that tension. It's okay to acknowledge what Jesus says. My soul is troubled. I'm feeling some anxiety around this. I don't like this message. Should have skipped church today. It's okay to acknowledge the difficulty of following Jesus. And as we kick off Holy Week, all of us are on this road, this narrow road to Easter, this narrow road to the cross. And John says there's some who believed, some that didn't. The miracles weren't enough. The disciples will scatter. There's all this unbelief and turmoil around this man named Jesus. And I think we find ourselves here this morning, different groups of people. And it's okay wherever you're at. It's okay. But the invitation from Jesus is that I've come not to judge you, but to save you. I want to invite you to stand as we get ready to wrap up this morning. Maybe there's some of you here, you've never heard of this man named Jesus, or you've heard about him but have never, as Dan mentioned earlier, surrendered yourself to him. And that's the invitation for some of us this morning. Maybe there's others of us who simply need to take a step forward to say, I will choose to be a seed doesn't just remain a seed, but is buried and dead to the world so that I can live in Jesus. Feeding your flesh now and living forever means you'll die eventually, but dying to yourself now means that you'll live forever through Jesus, and it's what he calls us to do daily. Following Jesus is daily trying to die to ourselves so that we can find purpose and joy and fulfillment in him. And in moments of weakness, his spirit is strong enough to strengthen us and help us. But all of us have to choose to be a seed that dies and is buried in the ground. So here's what we're going to do this morning as we close. The band's going to lead us in a song. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. And prayer team, if you guys want to come up and stand by the cross, if you need prayer, they're going to be there for you. And here's what I'll say about our prayer team. Whatever it is that you're going through this morning, God already knows every single thing that you need. But sometimes God connects us with people that we can share what we need with and that will pray for us. 
and that will help walk with us. That's what our prayer team is here for. Some of our elders and prayer team, they've been praying for you before you even got here. So if you need prayer, I encourage you to come forward to them. But here's what we're going to do as we sing. At these tables here, we have two bowls with seeds in it. And if God has spoken to you this morning of what it means to be a seed that doesn't just remain a seed, but will choose to bury and reproduce life. As we sing this song, I want you to reflect. And if you feel led by God, and all of us have a next step to take, I want you to come up and take a seed as you exit. Or you can go back in your seats and continue to sing. We're going to get a little uncomfortable this morning. Is that all right? And it's not about getting a response. It's not about you coming up. But sometimes there's a concrete decision that we have to make to follow Jesus. And I'm not sure that all of us have ever done that. Sometimes it's easy to hear about Jesus. It's easy to come to church and sing songs about him. But to take a step forward and say, I'm really going to do this. That's us following through in obedience to what he's leading us to. So if he's leading you to, this, to do that this morning, I want to invite you to come up after I pray and the worship team sings for us. Let me pray over us. God, we thank you as we kick off this beautiful week that we call Holy Week. We're reminded of the mission that you came to accomplish, which is not to fulfill people's agenda, not to fulfill a nation's agenda or expectations, but to be obedient to the Father's will, which was to bring people, all people, every nation, back to himself. Lord, may we choose, as you obeyed, may we choose to step out in obedience. May we choose to be seeds that don't just remain a seed, but die to ourselves. God, if you spoke to us this morning, may we choose to step out in obedience. May we choose to die to our flesh and the desires of our flesh, the things that have us leaving us empty, our anger, our fleshly desires for pleasure, our jealousy, our passions for lust and envy and greed, whatever it is, may we choose to die to ourselves daily, knowing that in you we find new life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen.